Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this first Sunday of Epiphany. We thank you that we can gather together in peace. We thank you for all the ways that you blessed each one of us. I ask, Lord, now that this word would be a blessing to your people and that all would be encouraged by what they hear. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Well, I don't know how many of you are familiar with facial recognition, but I'm not very familiar with it. I've learned a little bit, just enough to be dangerous. And I had this impression of facial recognition that it took pictures of people and then simply compared pictures of people to other pictures of people. It's actually a lot more complicated than that. See, all of us have features on our faces, and there's a dozens of tiny measurements that can happen between these features. So between your cheekbone and your nose, or between your eyebrow and your mouth. And they can measure all these things. And so there's dozens of these measurements. And so what's actually happening when you're being scanned for facial recognition is they're doing a bunch of math problems to figure out if the number that you come up with is the same as something that's in the database. So all of us have heard the idea that we are unique, we're one of a kind, that there's no one else like us. And that's largely true. But with facial recognition, you can have what's called a false positive. So there may be someone here today that if you decide to travel to Denmark, there's someone in Denmark who looks just like you, and it creates a false positive. So maybe we're not quite as unique as we all think that we are. But Jesus, as we celebrate him this morning, is truly one of a kind. And he is truly unique. No one prior to Christ has ever been like him. And no one ever will be after him. It would be impossible for us to cover all the ways that Jesus Christ is unique during our short time this morning. But I want you to know that everything that you will ever find in your studies of Jesus about how unique he is, and how supernatural his activity on earth was, and what it means that he's reigning in heaven now. All of that uniqueness is good. You will never be able to find in your studies anything about Jesus that is not good. And it would be impossible to confuse all this goodness of Jesus Christ with anyone else in human history. So if you're hearing my words today, either online or in person, or on a podcast later, you likely have some kind of experience with Jesus. And that is your subjective personal experience. And that's meaningful and that's good. But have we truly considered in a while just how unique Jesus actually was? Have we paused recently to marvel at the Son of God, Son of God whom we say that we love? In our passage today, we see this long-awaited prophet, John the Baptist, announcing that the wait is over. The Messiah is here. Some people would have even categorized John the Baptist as the last of the Old Testament prophets. But there is this long period of waiting for this Messiah to show up. This one who would save the people of God from their sins. It would bring them into the kingdom once and for all. And John the Baptist is announcing in our passage from Mark's gospel that that Messiah is now here. The wait is over. And we see further in this passage that Jesus will usher in a new era, a time where the Holy Spirit is given generously to all of his disciples. 
It wouldn't be something where we'd see the Holy Spirit going to specific people in specific instances. But everyone here today, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. Jesus also shows perfect humility in this gospel passage in undergoing baptism. And at this act of submissive allegiance to the Father, the heavens are violently torn open like never before. And the Father proclaims His eternal approval. And the Holy Spirit appears, validating the ministry and the person of Jesus Christ. When it says that the heavens are torn open, the other time that we see that is after Christ dies on the cross and the veil is torn within the temple. So we're witnessing something unique, something powerful in this first occasion of Mark's Gospel. This morning, I want us to spend a little bit of time reflecting on the uniqueness of Christ himself. And thinking about, as Christians, what does that uniqueness mean for you and I? What's the impact for us in our lives? And then also, during the Epiphany season, what opportunities does the uniqueness of Christ present to us? How do we have something different to say than the rest of the world? Well, first, let's look at the impact on us. It's easy for us, if, you're, if you've been a Christian for most of your life like I have been, it's easy for us to settle into religious habits. Coming here, you may know the way by heart. You may know where you sit. You may know what happens in the service. You may know the people that will sit around you. You may know how you feel. There's all these religious habits that we get into as Christians. And it's easy to forget about our first discovery of the love of the Son of God for us. We need to restore our knowledge and our experience of Christ regularly. Understanding that He's not just a religious leader among many, but He's truly the only Son of God, the only one that can save from the biggest problem that man has, which is his sin. Jesus was God. Jesus is God. And in Scripture we read that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father right now. In heaven. He's interceding for us. He's praying for us. He's watching over us. There is no one else like him. Ironically, my uh, chiropractor is a family friend and he is located here in Flower Mound. And I've been coming to him for about 15 years. He's a great guy, also a Christian. And he has moved his office a number of times. And in his new location, I happened to notice a couple of years ago that there was a new Hindu temple that opened up across the street from him. And so I always like to think and kind of reflect on the things I notice. And I started asking a couple of people around me to make conversation. Do we consider this progress? There's a new Hindu temple in Flower Mound across from my chiropractor. Is that a step forward? Is this progress for us? How do we look at this as Christians? So I thought about this for quite a while. And the truth is, I do think it's a step of progress. Not because I want any of you to convert to Hinduism, I don't. But because there are people that are worshiping there that are from other nations. There are people, our friends and neighbors that are worshiping there. And it presents an opportunity for us to engage them in the marketplace of ideas. Showing them how unique Christ, the Son of God, actually is. And that there is no answer for this Christ in any other religion on earth. 
as well-meaning as our Hindu friends may be. They can never offer the one man who saves, Jesus Christ. You see, this is the only man who the Father audibly approves of in this spectacular way. You'll find no such story anywhere else. And even though Jesus came with a purpose, he was the ultimate purpose-driven man. Even though Jesus came with a purpose and a mission, and we know now that he would fulfill it perfectly without any blemish or hesitation, the Father's approval precedes Jesus' public ministry. And it precedes Jesus' death on the cross. I want you to see this morning that the Father speaks His love and His approval over Jesus, His Son, before He has done any of the things recorded in Mark's Gospel, before He has faithfully gone to the cross, and before He has resurrected. Now, what if I told you sitting here today that you could have an approval just like that? That you could have God the Father's approval of you before you live the rest of your life, before you do all the things you can think of that you ought to do that are good, before all the shoulds in your life. The good news is that we can and that we do. It's through our union with Christ himself. So I'm standing here and I'm preaching to you this morning, and you may be listening to what I'm saying, but even more impactful is God's word itself. What do we see when Paul is developing the new covenant community of the people of God? In Romans 6, Paul writes this. 6.5 says this, For if we have been united with Christ in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with Christ in a resurrection like his. So that's good news. That's hope for eternal life. But in verse 8, we also read this. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And Paul goes on to say elsewhere that we are joint heirs with Christ. We see that through our faith in Christ, there is some mysterious union that despite all my years of study and ministry, I cannot fully explain. But there is some mysterious union that we know about that you and I have with Christ in faith. And so many of the benefits of Christ himself are now transferred to you and I. We have inherited those blessings. The Father says, You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. You are my beloved daughter. With you I am well pleased. Father speaks those words over us who trust in Christ today. I would challenge you to locate, to reflect where you could find in atheism, in Hinduism, in the humanism of the 20th century, in secular ideas or in Islam, any God who offers such a glorious exchange. Dig, research it. You will not find such a thing. You and I win on both sides of this exchange. See, because we're not good enough to earn the Father's irrevocable approval on our own. Even as the people of God are being developed in their journey, 
in Deuteronomy chapter 9, we read this line. God's about to bring them in to blessing in this good land. And he says, the prophecy says this, Know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. Now I can tell you after being a priest for over a decade and just being a Christian for a long time, people have not changed a lot in thousands of years. That's true of them. It's true of you and me too. So we cannot earn God's salvation on our own. But this good news, this gospel exchange means that we can stop trying to earn God's love. We can stop trying to earn God's approval. We can stop trying to make him approve of us. We can stop seeking the attention of other people because we already have it in Christ. We are empty and Christ fills us completely with his love and all the blessings of his sonship. Everything you and I need, all of last year and everything we need for the coming year, has been there in Christ Jesus all along. There is no improving on this unique Savior. He's Jesus, the Son of God. So, I'm a big sports fan. I end up watching quite a, quite a bit of sports for amusement, enjoyment. I'll watch football later today, like a lot of you. And I was watching the Sugar Bowl last week. And I'm sorry for those of you who are Longhorn fans. They did lose to Washington. It's a really good game. But I noticed as I was watching that the two end zones were painted differently, as is the custom. One end says Texas. The other says Washington. And I was reminded that when I was a child, I had no idea why, if it says Texas and Washington, Washington would be scoring on the Texas end. And then why Texas would be scoring on the Washington end. It didn't make sense to me as a child. And so it's really easy. The adults all understood. You honor the teams that are playing by putting their name on the field, and then you take turns switching ends. But as a child, you don't understand this. But all the adults who are watching football with the child, they assume that the child understands. And so for most of us, Christ can be like that. When we think about our friends and family and neighbors around us, we think all the things that I have just said about Christ and how unique he is, they understand that too. We think that all the things that we have learned over our life following Jesus, that they know that as well. The truth is they do not. And so we have this opportunity when the Holy Spirit gives an opening to talk about Christ and how unique he is, that you will never find one who can take away your sins like Jesus Christ. There's a couple of things that most of your friends and family and neighbors that are not Christians are assuming right now. I think one of them is that they assume the reason you're here this morning and the reason you are a Christian is because Jesus Christ is the religious figure that works for you. That he's different for you, but that religious figure could be nearly anyone. But as we reflect on this, we have an opportunity to tell our friends and neighbors that Jesus actually does not work for me. If you followed Christ for any length of time, you know that he is going to ask you to give up certain things that you don't want to give up 
He's going to ask you to do things that you do not want to do. He's going to challenge some of the most deeply held things in your life. He does not work for me. It is inconvenient to be a Christian. He will upturn so many things in your life if you are actually following him. And he is not a supporting player in our story. We now find ourselves dying to our own story and being subsumed into his story. We are now supporting players in the story of God on earth. Your friends and neighbors may also believe that Christianity and church is for people that are good. So they don't feel like they should go because truth is most people know that they sin. They feel guilty about it. They feel bad and they're not quite sure what to do. So most people just try harder. And obviously that doesn't work. So your friends may believe that they're not welcome at church because they're not really a good person. But what we have as a response during this epiphany season is that Jesus has proven to be the only one who can save miserable sinners just like you and me. We're not just kind of good and Jesus completes the effort. We are actually incapable of being good on our own. It is not possible for anyone here to be a good person compared to Jesus Christ. Everything good that you and I do comes from the Lord. The Savior Jesus is the only good person. And we are on the journey, just like our friends and neighbors. There's plenty of room for more to join us. Not going to run out of seats. But this epiphany season where we celebrate Christ not only for the Jews, but for the entire world. The plan all along was to bring Christ to the world so that the nations, that all types of people could come in and know Christ as Lord and inherit the kingdom. This epiphany season represents a unique opportunity for us to share Christ with our friends and family who are feeling that crushing weight of unforgiveness to winsomely articulate just how unique Jesus Christ actually is. And to see our own faith grow and be supercharged as we see the Holy Spirit do amazing things when we share the gospel with other people. Think about it. If you knew when you left here today and you headed to lunch, that as the week began... You had nothing to lose with God. How would you live? If you knew your salvation was not on the line, you're not going to disappoint God, you're not going to screw it up, you're not going to break it, what would you do? The good news is that's our scenario. If you have put your faith in Christ, that's yours. Now you're free to tell others about it generously. If you were a disciple, a person who trusts Christ, your salvation is secure. This means for you, this fantastic exchange has already happened. And we praise God for that. That's why we're here worshiping this morning. But you certainly know someone, maybe even here in Flower Mound, who has not experienced that grace. So how will you respond? Remember, you have nothing to prove to God. There's no more of your heavenly inheritance to earn. You don't need to work a special formula on God. You simply need to know that in this new year, 
I'm inviting you to worship our unique God. To worship Him here on Sunday mornings. To worship Him on weekdays as you work or you live at home. As you go about your business and you learn from God and His Word. And you experience Jesus in unique ways. And the Holy Spirit leads you to certain things. I invite you to worship God as you spend time with other people in your life, looking for those opportunities where the Lord may be presenting an opening where you can share how our God is different. Friends, this epiphany season represents a unique opportunity. Thousands of years ago, the world began to understand that Christ was not just for the Jews, but for everyone. We're in that era now. Let us go with confidence, knowing that we are approved of by God, by the blessing and the gift of faith, and share that with all those around us during this Epiphany season. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.